Hey, we're the team at Chris Hacks. I'm your host this week, Allison Broski. Every week, we'll be spending 20-something minutes with an OU alum, maker, or engineer in the workforce. They'll share their insights and advice from their career path in order to help you navigate your future. Follow us on social media at Chris Tech Talks, and subscribe to our podcast on your app of choice to stay up to date on when we release a new episode. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Barbara Oakley from Oakland University. Barbara Oakley is a retired United States Army captain and holds degrees from both the University of Washington and Oakland University. After tackling Russian fishing trawlers and the South Pole, Dr. Oakley now spends her time as a professor of engineering at Oakland University, inspiring students in the classroom and online in one of the world's largest massive open online courses. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Oakley. Well, thank you for having me, Allison. It's a pleasure being here. It's a pleasure to have you on. So you are a woman of many talents. You've been all over the world from the United States all the way to the South Pole. And how you got there, for people that don't know, is that you were actually in the active military. Um, so one of my first questions for you today is, how did your time in the military influence your decisions later in life, such as choosing to pursue a degree in electrical engineering? Oh, that's a great question. I think the thing was, when I was young, I hated math and science, and I was awful at them, and I flunked them. So I flunked my way through elementary, middle, and high school math and science. But the thing is, when I got into the military, I joined right out of high school in order to learn a language, because I thought, well, if I can't do techie-type stuff, I can, I can try to learn a new language. And they sent me to the Defense Language Institute, which is an incredible language learning school. And I learned Russian. And then the military, in their great wisdom, made me an Army Signal Corps officer, which meant I was working with radio equipment and uh, and all sorts of computers and everything that was technical that I had sworn that I could never do. And I was, frankly, I was pretty miserable at my job. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't even know what a circuit was. But the thing that got me is that when I went to get out of the military, all of my friends who had become, for example, engineers, they'd gone through West Point and were pretty technically capable, they were getting great job offers. And here was I, who had done what everyone had told me to do. I'd followed my passion. I'd gotten really good at the discipline of speaking Russian. And actually, nobody cared. I had almost, in some sense, I'd been being selfish. I'd been looking only at my wants and needs. And I hadn't intelligently looked at what the world needed as well. I decided to try to revamp my outlook on life and maybe see if I could learn a little bit of that math and science that I thought I was so terrible at. And it wasn't easy. I I was 26 years old, went back to the university. There's all these young whippersnappers there who were really good at these things to start with, where I was terrible to start with. But I slowly, I I started at remedial high school algebra and slowly began working my way upwards 
If I'd known then what I know now about learning, I could have made it so much easier on myself. So that's part of what I try to do today is to try to clarify for people how to learn in any discipline. And that includes language learning, math and science, music, whatever you're learning. It's the same underlying commonalities in how the brain works. And what would be some of those commonalities? Well, for one thing, when you look at something and you don't understand it and you think you're an idiot, welcome to the human race. That's actually a perfectly (laughs) normal reaction. For me, when I was a kid, I would look at like fractions and just say, well, this is beyond my scope. It's, It's way above what I can figure out to do. And nobody ever told me, oh, that's perfectly natural. Just kind of keep working at it and your brain will work behind the scenes to make sense of what you're learning. You just need to kind of work on it, walk away, take a break, come back, back and forth. It's that back and forth that allows these two very different networks to work together to consolidate, make sense of, and help you learn new information. Okay. And so when students are having those types of struggles that you yourself were experiencing, what kind of clicked in your mind that said, oh, okay, I'm approaching this perhaps the wrong way, or maybe I should approach this subject from a different perspective that ultimately helped you get to where you are today? I think a big plus for me was going to the Language Institute. Russian's not an easy language for an English speaker to learn. And when you first grapple with some of the ideas, for example, you use a different set of verbs if you do something habitually versus if you do it one time. I mean, it's all these little nuances. When you yeah. first look at them, they they seem really difficult to, to grasp and to get used to and to use. But if you practice with them, it gets easier and easier. And I know this sounds silly, but I just thought, what if I use these same approaches to learning in math and science? Why don't I take a problem that I have learned or or that I've solved? And I know that I have the right answer to this. And why don't I see if I can know it so well, kind of like I know a language really well, and I may learn a dialogue really well so I can recite it. But do that same sort of idea with learning in math, for example, so that I can look at a problem and in my mind's eye or ear, I I can actually see the parts of the process unfold that I need to do in order to solve that problem. And I've not Mm -hmm. memorized the answers. I've internalized them so I can more easily not only answer that question, but answer all sorts of at least somewhat related questions. You know, I have a sister that kind of does not necessarily the same thing. She's at the stage now where she memorizes information and has a very difficult time applying that information that she's memorized. Do you have any advice for students that might struggle with that next step of applying the information that they've kind of memorized? Oh, that's another really good question. So 
the hard thing to answer about this is it's very discipline specific. Let's say that she has a math problem. Okay. And here's her problem. It's in front of her. She should not look at the answer until she absolutely is so totally stuck that she needs to peek. And then she should look only at the next step. Okay. And for goodness sake, don't look at the answer and memorize it. Instead, try to work that problem yourself cold without looking at the answer. Do that enough times that you can actually work it through all the way by yourself without picking at the answer. That each step whispers to you what the next step should be. Not that okay. you've memorized it and so say, yeah, A leads to B leads. To, it's like, oh yeah, well then I, I naturally, I need to take the derivative here or whatever you need to do. I find it's these tiny little internal dialogues you have with yourself. Let's say you're studying a language on Duolingo. You can just sit there, look at those phrases coming up, say it afterwards, and think you're learning and you're learning a little bit. When you're looking at those phrases, can you look away and recall the whole sentence and say it aloud? And even when you're done with your session, Can you write down some of the new phrases that you've learned? Retrieving that information from your own brain is a key to really successful learning. I think that's something classrooms don't necessarily stress, right? Students are very focused on making sure that they're getting the correct answers because that's how you get a good grade. And then we forget about the learning portion of it. Like, what are we ultimately trying to gain out of this? Well, it's new knowledge. Right. But what you'll find is if you study well, I mean, I, I sometimes laugh because it's like there's the test gods out there and you can study really well sometimes. And the test yeah. gods just will not cooperate with you. Those little imps get in there and... Even though you prepared beautifully, it just doesn't go well. There's a little bit of probabilistic stuff going on there. But in general, if you really learn the material in a good way by retrieval practice, you will do, your grades will reflect that. Okay. So we talk a lot about the students and what they can do, but a large part of school is also like, how the teachers are presenting the information. So as a professor yourself, what do you think other professors can do in order to teach more effectively? Oh, golly, Uh, probably a lot. (laughs) Um, The thing is, one has to look realistically at life. What are professors evaluated on? Um, Sometimes it's not so much by their teaching, unfortunately. I mean, university professors love to disrespect business as saying business is all about the Benjamins, the money, and uh, we at universities are so pure. We're not like that. But actually, universities are really very much like that. They're driven by how many dollars does a professor bring in through grants and things like this. 
So much as I would love for all professors to put a lot of focus on their teaching, they do realistically also need to put a focus on bringing in grants and writing good publications and so forth. With that said, I think, well, the thing I'm working on now is a book called Uncommon Sense Teaching, and it's for instructors to help them to learn more or to teach more effectively based on how students' brains work. Okay. And the thing is, I think the most naturally gifted professor I ever had was a professor at Oakland named Gil Wiedekind. And he he intuited all of this information about how students learn effectively, used it in his classes, and now, what, 25, 30 years later, I'm looking at the neuroscience and saying, Gil had it right. He had it all figured out. Um, And the thing is, I do think that, for example, good learning practices involve having students retrieve things from their own brains. And that means not having cheat sheets and maybe not having super complex tests as a consequence of the fact that students don't have cheat sheets, just test Mm -hmm. the essence of the material and make sure that students actually have it in their own brains, not on extraneous sheets of paper that they will lose. Uh, I think a big thing is retrieval practice, making sure that students have the key insights within their own brains. That is not memorization. It is internalization of the key ideas and being so comfortable with them that you can still pull them out even years later. That's really interesting. So less like what's the definition of a topic that we covered and more here's a topic that we covered, apply it to the situation type of Q&A? Not, not really. So let's say that I was one of those professors who said, well, you know, you can always just look stuff up. You don't need to remember anything. And what I want you to do is I want you to be able to think at higher levels of Bloom's taxonomy, which is like, you know, a deep comprehension of things. If I was one of those kind of professors, you would be hard put if you were studying European history, for example. And I said, I posed an examination question for you that was, Compare and contrast the key events and concepts that unfolded with respect to the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution. Okay. Now, if you had not internalized, for example, what were the key dates? What happened on those key dates? What were different groups of people doing and what were their needs and aims If you don't have that in your memory, whether it's memorized or internalized or whatever, you can't do higher level Bloom's taxonomy contrasting of those two. Another thing is for K-12 kids, they said, you know, we don't need kids to memorize anything because Mm -hmm. they can always look it up. So they would teach them reading and they'd teach them about civil rights that was the civil rights movement of the 1960s and uh, and so forth. I mean, that's an incredibly important event in American history. 
And then they would teach kids about the Civil War. But they didn't have to memorize anything because they could always look it up. And then what they found was later when they asked them on tests to, to, to discuss civil rights and the Civil War, kids mixed them up. They thought that Martin Luther King was a friend of Abraham Lincoln because they didn't even know that they were a century apart. And they really, it's like they saw the word civil and they thought, well, you know, I kind of know what that is. And so I guess what I'm really trying to get at is it's really important to internalize key ideas um, even if they seem simple in and of themselves, and as if you're just memorizing junk that you can look up. But by getting those key ideas in your mind, you can more easily compare and contrast and think more deeply about all sorts of different things. Yeah, because those are your building blocks. That's your foundation of knowledge. And if you don't necessarily know the simple stuff, how are you going to build up to those complex comparisons that you were talking about earlier? Yes. So we are hitting the end of our time together. I want to ask you one last question that I like to ask the people that I bring on. What is the best life and or work advice that you've ever received? Oh, my goodness. I think it's what my father said. Um, man plans, God laughs. <laughs> you can have the best. Uh, uh, just be open to what the universe will reveal to you. Don't be too set. I mean, it's really good. Like if you're going to go to med school or you want to have uh, an MBA or get that engineering degree, fantastic. But don't plan too far ahead because sometimes really interesting things can unfold. I'm so glad I got my engineering degree and it has opened terrific new doors. I don't work in a cubicle all the time and it's actually made me super flexible in the jobs that I can do and opens. It's yeah. just terrific. But um, just be open because who knows, maybe you'll be able to go to the South Pole Station or, or end up at uh, on the Bering Sea on Russian trawlers. You just never know what the universe might have in store for you. Well, that's fantastic advice. And thank you for coming on again today, Dr. Oakley. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks again to Dr. Barbara Oakley for being on this week's episode of Chris Tech Talks. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay up to date with the podcast and recent news by visiting our social media pages and following us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay safe and stay curious.